0: Hello everyone, this is Stephen Strang and welcome to my podcast today. I'm privileged to have Doug Weed in the studio here. Doug is a, I consider Doug a Washington insider and he just finished a 460 page book called Inside Trump's White House. And today, the day that we're recording this, the impeachment trial of Donald J. Trump has begun. He's only the third president to ever be impeached Of course, a podcast like this will be listened to and downloaded for a long, long time. But I think it's significant that the day we're recording it, the impeachment is starting. So I want to ask you, Doug, after thanking you for being with me today, tell me your take on what's happening in our country, especially with this impeachment, and where do you think it's going to go?
1: Well, I view this impeachment historically as impeachment light, and I say that partly because of what is not in the impeachment. They don't impeach him for being a Russian spy. They spent three years telling us he was a Russian spy. This incredible story. If, in fact, he was a Russian spy, it's the equivalent of landing a man on the moon. It's the equal of the assassination of Julius Caesar. It's like Columbus's voyage across. The, it's one of the greatest, stupendous events of world history. And, of course, it's total nonsense. So. They didn't impeach him for being a Russian spy, nor have they apologized for saying that. They haven't stopped and said, you know, we were wrong about that. They just ignore it. And they didn't impeach him for quid pro quo, though for six months they promoted the idea that there was a quid pro quo in this conversation with the Ukrainian president. And they're not impeaching him for it. So <laughs> it's, uh, they're not saying he did that.
0: They're and saying he abused his power, there were every know. president has been accused of abusing <laughs> power, which means he had power and he did something that they didn't like. Isn't yeah. that basically what it is, or is that an oversimplification? Well, you know,
1: I, uh, abuse of power, I think my mother abused power. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I knew your mother. <laughs> she was a wonderful Christian lady. <laughs> and the obstruction of Congress. Well, that's why we elected Donald Trump to (laughs) obstruct Congress. We wanted him to stop this left tilt. And then there was uh, bribery. There was 60 days of bribery. This is bribery. But it's not in the articles of impeachment. None of it's there. So there's no apology for all of the accusations that are now dismissed and aren't taken seriously. And they're promoting this impeachment light. And it's motivated out of uh, a hatred of this president and a desire to hurt him and hurt his family. It's certainly not done to get him out of office because it isn't going to do that.
0: And how do you think history is going to look at this since you're a historian?
1: Yeah, I think it's what I said, impeachment light. I think the conclusion is going to be something political was going on. There's no other way to explain the vote. I mean, the vote 100 percent, 100 percent, one party, and there's no other explanation for it.
0: Do you think the Democrats will pay a price at the polls over this? (laughs) I would
1: think so. They pay a price with me. I'm offended that they don't have more integrity than they do. It's heartbreaking to see this attitude. I mean, the Democrat Party right now seems to be in transition. They don't have a candidate. They don't have a theme. They don't have
0: a brand. They need—they don't more. have a candidate so much that the New York Times endorsed two. two. Have you ever heard of that happening? <laughs> Actually, it has
1: happened before. But this is a, a difficult time for them. Uh, one day they're promoting the Constitution. We're behind the Constitution. The founding fathers are deeply upset at Donald Trump. The next day, they're promoting Project 1619, that the United States was founded by criminal slave traders and is a criminal state, is an illegal state. And that should be taught in our schools to our children. They can't make up their mind where they are as a party and what their philosophy will be.
0: Let me ask you a spiritual question because to me as a Christian and because of what we do here at Charisma Media, you know, we try to understand the spiritual dimension and, and report it, You know, not just over this but over many things. And In fact, my own book about Trump, God Trump at the 2020 election, I have a whole section on the spiritual dimension. I'm just interested in you. You were raised in the Assemblies of God. In Washington, you've been a champion of evangelicals. You were a big help on my book. Thank you very much, giving me most of the material I had in the chapter that I called Washington and Evangelicals Before Trump. And, you know, we could deep dive into that because evangelicals are arguably 30 or 40 percent of the population, yet totally underrepresented at lots of different levels in government. But that's kind of political. What do you think is happening with these nonstop attacks on Trump and this impeachment What do you think is happening spiritually?
1: Yeah, a couple thoughts there. Scalia has said that there ought to be an evangelical Christian on the Supreme Court because when I was there in the Bush White House, out of 749 federal judges, we could only find four who were born-again Christians. That gives you an idea. Representing 39% of the American population. And you have to keep in mind that liberals now use the courts because they can't win elections. So they can't get a referendum passed in the state of California. They can't get a referendum passed in the state of New York. In the most liberal states, they can't get their way. So they depend on these liberal judges, these federal judges, to force on the American voters what the American voters don't want and won't vote for. So the courts are extremely important. And for that reason alone, the election of Donald Trump is critical to in my opinion, to the survival of the Christian church and free speech in the coming years.
0: Well, you know, the Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And I've quoted that a lot and written about it of course in relation to not being angry at Nancy Pelosi as a person or Adam Schiff as a person. There's a lot of people we could name. They're the ones that are in the news right now. But why do you see about the spiritual dimension that's behind all this? Or is it just politics as usual?
1: It's not politics as usual. I mean, your viewers and listeners can go to the Internet. They can look up at the end of 2016 election when uh, Hollywood celebrities all went into a soundstage to try to get out the vote, and they produced a song. They sang Like We Are the World, but this one was anti-Trump, and it was anti-Christian. And the words of the Democratic operatives and the promoters of this uh, video, which your listeners can find themselves, it ends with the words, Jesus effing Christ, please vote and i thought when i heard that if a political party the republican party or the democrat party were to use the name of mohammed as a curse word to try to motivate people to vote it would certainly not be tolerated but here's the democrat party and activist in the democrat party again your your viewers and listeners can look it up for themselves that was how they chose to motivate their voters to get out and vote. That should motivate a Christian to get out and vote. No one should have that kind of disrespect.
0: Well, I agree with you 100%. And, in fact, you gave me that story, and I did go online, and I did. Did you find it? I found it, and I wrote about (laughs) it. It's unbelievable, isn't it? In the book. Yes, it is absolutely unbelievable. And they criticize Trump for, uh, you know, sometimes using four-letter words that you and I would have gotten in trouble (laughs) for growing up in the church. And I've said that I believe that Donald Trump will be reelected. I don't think it's a certainty uh, there are a lot of things could happen. You know, it seems like there's something new every day coming out. <laughs> but it's going to take more than just Donald Trump to turn things around in our country. You know, you've been around a few years. You've seen a lot of trends. A lot's happened since you kind of came on the scene back in the Gerald Ford or Jimmy Carter era. What do you think is going to happen in America in the next five or 10 years?
1: Boy, I don't know. That's, uh, you know, I'd have to spend some time thinking about that's a question I'd like to ask you. Because if anybody has a pulse on that, you would, because of the demographics you have to deal with in, in the publishing industry. H- how do you answer that?
0: Well, there are those who believe that a great revival is coming, but of course, having come from the Pentecostal background, Pentecostals are always believing that a great mm-hmm. revival is coming, and also
1: and they're always coming. It happens again and it again. it does
0: happen. You mm-hmm. know. Uh, the era that we came of age in uh, the vietnam war era the civil rights movement era was a very difficult time i mean in one year martin luther king jr was assassinated bobby kennedy was assassinated there were riots riots at the democratic national convention in 1968 hippies and free love and all that stuff you remember that and It looked like our whole generation was going straight to hell. And then the Jesus movement happened, and the Roman Catholic charismatic movement happened. And I see those as extremely significant in terms of shifting things. And you can't measure revivals in politics exactly, but a more conservative era (laughs) approached where some of that nonsense was put behind. And of course, we elected Ronald Reagan, who in his day was a lot like Trump in the sense that he shifted things. But at the same time, as Christians, don't we believe that we're moving toward the end of time? Of course, the early church thought we were moving toward the end of time, and that was 2,000 years ago. So, you know, these things are in God's hands, Mm -hmm. and we don't really know. But someone said that the past was not as perfect as we remember it, and the future is probably not as scary as we fear. And I think that's probably true. But I believe that the church needs to wake up. I think we've been passive for too long. We've put up with all this stuff. Now we see that taking prayer out of schools in 1962 is almost like a, some kind of turning point. We see that President Trump has signed this executive order the last week, making it legal for school children to pray in school. And when I was on Fox and Friends and they asked me about this, I said, well, as long as there's exams, there's going to be prayer in school. <laughs> I heard that. Uh, but in 1962, they took prayer out to schools. And President John Kennedy said, well, you know, people need to pray at home. And, and I agree with that. But it was like making it official not to have God in government institutions. One thing led to another. And if people had been concerned enough, and of course it would have been our parents' generation, not us, Americans could have passed an amendment to the Constitution to specifically say prayer in schools was okay. And other times when Americans didn't like things like prohibition, they passed a constitutional (laughs) amendment to change it. Hmm. But the church has never risen up. It's like we just, it's one thing and then it's something else. We just kind of go along with it and, and think that it won't affect us. But it's like in the last 10 years or so, it seems like You can't hide in places like Springfield, Missouri and (laughs) Lakeland, Florida. It used to be the Christians could just kind of cluster and have their own little subculture and people would leave them alone. But the government's not leaving Christians alone anymore. It's becoming more and more hostile. And, of course, you saw this hostility back in the Reagan and Bush era. You've written about it. You gave me a lot of good stories, some of which I included in my book. So anyway, this podcast is about you, not about me. (laughs) Do you agree or disagree?
1: Yeah, I agree with you. It is remarkable how uh, again and again throughout history there is renewal. In the Catholic Church, for example, God knows where it would be today if there hadn't been the charismatic renewal. It is the heart of the church in Latin America and in Europe. It's uh, truly a, a phenomenon, and that came out of nowhere. and happened in just a few electrifying years. So that can happen. And who would have thought Donald Trump would get elected?
0: Who would (laughs) have thought? And, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that as we wrap this up because I think the very first Doug Weed book I ever read was Father McCarthy Smokes a Pipe and Speaks in (laughs) Tongues. And it was... It was about the Roman Catholic Charismatic Movement. Yeah. And, and you there's were writing, the dilemma right there. <laughs> that's right. Pentecostals just couldn't <laughs> imagine that somebody would be spiritual <laughs> and speak in tongues and have the audacity to smoke a pipe. <laughs> um, and, of course, a lot has changed in the culture since then. But, you know, you were an eyewitness. In fact, if I remember correctly, you lived in South Bend, and that's kind of where it all started. Was at Notre Dame, and of course there were some other places too. So it was very to...
1: important for me because I saw liberals who were marching for civil rights, who the totally opposite political socio-cultural base that I came from, and yet they were experiencing the charismata. they were experiencing these gifts that spoke to their authenticity to me, because I thought they didn't get this because uh, it was pushed on them by some hyperventilating camp evangelist. They found this on their own. They read the scriptures and they found this on their own. And that was very remarkable for me.
0: Well, you've had a remarkable life. You've influenced probably millions in the books you've written and the things you accomplished while you were in the Bush White House and all the other doors that you have opened for many, many people. You really, I think, were maybe the first evangelical that a president pulled in to kind of I know that your portfolio was more than just evangelicals, but you know, from my perspective, and maybe because that's how I interacted with you, you were a door opener for lots and lots of people. So you know, one thing leads to another and so forth. So just thank you for the way that you've stood up for Christian values and for the evangelical church. It's not a single denomination, of course, but it's a faith community. And, you know, now thank you for writing this new book, Inside Trump's White House, which is very insightful and in which you also deal with the evangelical community, especially Paula White Cain and her involvement where she's very, very, very different than you. (laughs) But in some ways, she's kind of playing that role now.
1: Yeah, Yeah. And I tell that story in the book. And what was interesting to me, Steve, is the White House didn't know my evangelical Christian background. And I asked the White House, give me a list of names of people that the president wants me to interview that know him and his personality and what he believes. And the list came to me, and the first name on the list was Paula White.
0: That is interesting. And, of course, Paula White is somebody I've known not quite as long as I've known you, but a long time before Trump emerged as a politician. And I've interviewed her on the podcast, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens this year. So someone, someone will be listening to this on November fourth, twenty twenty, and they'll know what happened, and they'll say, "Boy, there was a lot Steve and Doug didn't know back then." But that's right. Um, I explain a lot of things by quoting the scripture in First Corinthians that says, "Now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face." when we analyze, especially when we talk about the future, which is what we were talking about a minute ago, I, th- I think that that is, is descriptive because it's hard to see what's going to happen.
1: Yeah, but H.G. Wells, I keep haunted by his quote. He says that he who controls the past controls the future, and he who controls the present controls the past, So the battle right now is not between left and right. It's between insiders and outsiders. And whoever wins, they will control the writing of history. They will control the past, and what our children will learn and therefore control the future.
0: Well, that's a good place to leave it. We could probably talk for hours, your wealth of information, and I appreciate you doing this podcast. And for those who are listening, if you missed the other podcast I did with Doug Weed, you need to look on the Charisma Podcast Network. It's worth listening to. And thank you for tuning in today to my podcast, and tune in again tomorrow. I'm Stephen Strang. Thank you for listening to the Charisma Podcast Network. God bless you.